You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Alyssa Gressel Dickey. Alyssa is a former journalist who now works in higher education communications. She has shared her journey of living with multiple sclerosis through her blog post for the National MS Society and is the author of Speed of Light. Her latest release is Iris in the Dark. And here to talk about that and so much more is Alyssa Gressel Dickey. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Alyssa. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Alyssa, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody, um, which is, tell me, where does your story as a writer begin? I think I would have to say it started, I have this memory in third grade where we were all supposed to write stories about, I feel like it was about an inanimate object because because mine was a lemon or something. And then they printed them off and put them all on the wall for parents to see. And everyone else's fit on a page and mine was like four pages long hanging down the, on the wall. So that's maybe where the first inkling of maybe I should write stories came from. Do you remember but, anything <laughs> about that four page story about a lemon? Nothing, nothing at all, except seeing it there and like, wow, mine is a lot longer than everyone else's and being sort of embarrassed, but also sort of like, that's, how could they not have written more about their lemon or whatever they were writing? Well, I mean, it sounds like you squeezed a lot of juice out of that lemon. I sure did. That, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> but no, I was also the um, the kid who always had a book in her hand and would visit the bookmobile. I'm from a small town. So the bookmobile would come or I would do mail a book and mail me books. I mean, that was like, old school Netflix used to be or something. Sure, but, sure. What small town were you from? Um, Deer River, Minnesota. It's a very oh. small town. Yeah, up in the Duluth area. Oh, Minnesota. Yes. I mean, you can tell when, if we, the longer we talk, the more, because my husband says my accent will come out when I, you know, talk a lot. But, but no, that's where I'm from originally. And, um, but no, I, so writing was always something that I loved. And what that led to was career in journalism at first. And, but I always, I mean, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I wanted to write novels and I would start some, but I was working full time and I still am and, you know, married, have kids, like life, life is happening. And it was always going to be something that I did later was pursue this dream. Um, then about eight years ago, I was diagnosed with MS. And so at first I thought I missed my chance and spent some time kind of, you know, upset about that. But then I realized that, no, this is my chance. And so mm -hmm. then I really started to try to fit it into my life, like writing, like it's not just going to happen. I have to do it. And here we are now. I have two books out. 
Here we are. So what, what was that like? I mean, um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, so getting that diagnosis, hearing the words, um, did it, did it solve a mystery for you? Um, what was, what was going on in your life at the time? Sure. Um, yes. And that's, that's kind of the weird thing. And I, I do talk about that in the speed of light, cause it was very therapeutic to write it, but, um, that at first getting a diagnosis is like, it's a good thing. It's a positive because you've had like for me, my, I was having like numbness on and off and like, you know, where it was, I was struggling to walk and you have to get tests and rule things out. And so it was like, finally you have this answer and you feel like, okay, I've got this answer. I'm good. But then you're like, wait a minute. No, this is not a good thing. And you know, this is life-changing. And so I do think for a while I was in some denial about the fact, cause my, you know, I still had my, my youngest was a year and a half at that age. And, um, you know, I wasn't ready to just throw in the towel by any means. Um, but yeah, but there is, you know, there was, there were a lot of emotions and relief, but then mixed with fear and worry and doubt. And, um, a lot of that came through in the speed of light, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about writing that first book. Um, what was the, uh, I hate the term journey, but it is descriptive. What was the writer's <laughs> journey like from, from that book? Well, and honestly, um, this, the speed of light was my the third manuscript I wrote. The first one I finished, I did sign with an, my agent. Um, so I'll talk about that one as yeah, far yeah, please, as, please, you yeah. know, ironically, I could, I feel like I, even though it was my diagnosis that spurred me to complete my first novel, I couldn't have written about it then. Like it was, you know, a few years later, my third novel that I was finally able to feel like, I think I can, you know, I'm brave enough to write this. I'm, I'm able to write this story and kind of be the story that I needed when I was first diagnosed. But but no, completing the first one was a matter of, you know, like the kids went to bed, I would write instead of watching TV and I would just make it like part of my daily life until I finished it. And then it was, and it took about a year to, to like write the end. And then along the way, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I want to get this public. Like, what do I do? I had no idea. I didn't know you needed an agent. I didn't, you know, know, think about revising, but luckily I found someone that another, a coworker, a former coworker from the newspaper I used to work at, that she was also trying to be published. And she, you know, like she lives in like locally. And so we kind of formed our own little club and that has really helped. I mean, because it's such a solitary journey trying to write something and get it published that it was so nice to have kind of a partner in crime along the way. And the more I learned like entering pitch contests and mentorship contests and like all of that kind of eventually querying and getting rejected and you know, realizing, okay, polishing your query, polishing your pages, and all of that ultimately led to signing with my agent. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I thank you so much for sharing that, because I think a, you know, a lot of people, and a lot of people who listen to the show are, um, you know, aspiring writers themselves, or, you know, they're interested, yeah. like like I am, in, in sort of backstories, so just hearing that, you know, it's not just about writing the story, it's, no. you know, everything else you have to do to, to, you know, get it, get it out there. Um, right. and, uh, th there's, you know, that, that must be a very steep learning curve, um, for that, for that first one out of the gate. Right. It really, yes. I mean, I, I think my first manuscript that my poor critique partner had to read was 150 some thousand words. Because oh my goodness. I had no clue. You know, I'm just like, right. Because this, you know, and I wasn't, I was totally a pantser when I first started and yeah, now I'm like, okay, I'm not I think I have fully become a plotter, but just, I have to like have a plan. Yes, I'll go off the rails a little bit, but then at least that plan is there to guide, but no, back then. And then queries, like I had no idea how much to include, 
you know, try to be super cute and cutesy and like, no, that's all, like I've made every, I feel like I've made every mistake they tell you not to make. And yet somehow I still ended up here. So maybe that's inspirational to some right Yeah, here. yeah, well, it worked out. I mean, but but making mistakes is all part of it. I remember, you know, yeah. some of the earlier query letters I've written. I mean, the first manuscript I, I wrote, I will not reread because it's so bad. <laughs> um, it's not bad, it's just, no, but it's cringy, make, it's yes, cringy. You've improved since then, and you can see it now, things you couldn't see before. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what do you like most about sort of this this sort of career pivot as as an author? Oh, honestly, the, the people I've met along the way, um, from my critique partner to there's um, like a group of authors that debuted the same year. We have a Facebook group, and then even a smaller amount like that, we're in the same kind of publishing house. We have our little Instagram group of like, group chat where it's you know it's just nice to have that where you can check in and either be like commiserate like yay this happened or sad this happened like people that know what you're going through and that are, that are going through the same thing that have dealt with the same issues and that can really help and you know we can boost each other when we need it it's been really great you know it's it's interesting I used to think of writing as a very solitary process and to, to some extent it is when you're when you're writing your manuscript it is solitary but um, everything else around it is, you know, there is a community out there. And I think the community aspect is very important, you know, for networking, but for morale building too, mm -hmm. um, to know that you're kind of not alone. You're, you're going through these shared experiences with people, yes. having people, you know, just to bounce ideas off of or, or get some honest feedback from, right. um, you know, that, that there is that, you know, so I always encourage like aspiring writers out there to join communities, you know, find yeah. workshops, um, have a critique partner. Yep. Um, you know, who, who you're not blood related to <laughs> or, yeah. or, or married to um, <laughs> exactly. is very helpful. It's very helpful. It is. And that's something that I definitely learned. The writing community is amazing. And I mean, say what you will about Twitter because it has its downs, tons of downsides. But that is honestly, I would not probably be here if I hadn't thought out like you go on hashtags writing community. And for me, pitch wars, pit mad, those were huge in terms first of just finding people out there doing the same thing as you or learning the same thing, but people would get tips and there'd be like critique partner matches and wait, you know, you, you just, it opened up a whole new world that I feel like, you know, me just working mom living in South Dakota never would have probably, I have zero connections and I never would have known what to do otherwise. You know, South Dakota is one of my two favorite Dakotas. Really? Oh, I feel good about that. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I, no offense, North Dakota, but we—I like to say we are the better Dakota, but that's probably not fair. That's right, and that—that's that, the same. <laughs> you know that—that's hashtag you know dad joke alert right there. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I—I'm curious. Uh, your your latest Iris the Dark. What can you tell me about it? Well, it's about it leans a little more suspense than um, my first one, and one of the well, a reader has coined the phrase thrillmance, and I'm like, I love that because I feel like my stories are always going to have a little bit of thriller and a little bit of romance in them. And this one is about a single mom who has to face her dark past when she hears cries for help in the night over a old walkie talkie her son finds when they're house sitting at a hunting lodge on the South Dakota Prairie. Oh, so that's, that's a, that's a, a very kind of interesting setting. Yes. Yeah. And so the setting does play in too, because um, it is set rural South Dakota and that's, it's kind of my love letter to, moving out here, um, I came from the tree-filled Minnesota, and it was 
it was disconcerting the first, you know, when I moved out here, it's so open, but I, you know, I've really just grown to love it and it's, it's beautiful in its own way, but at the same time, it's kind of perfect for this isolation that she's dealing with and this, you know, this creepiness where, you know, outside the wind is howling and it's open for miles and inside she's dealing with this. And so I think it was kind of the perfect setting for that feel, that kind of chilling feel. Or I hope it was anyway. So is, does it take place in, in present day or does it take it place does. in the past? Interesting. There's, well, there's two timelines. There, you get a flashback to her past throughout the book. But for the most part, the story is set in modern day. Interesting. I love the idea of a walkie-talkie coming into play because Thank as you. a kid, my twin brother and I had walkie-talkies and they're <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, with cell phones now, you I know. know you really, you know, unless you're like a cop or an EMT or something, you know, you don't see a lot of people with walkie-talkies. Right. Um, but I, I love was, that aspect. What what inspired you to 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 put a walkie-talkie in there? It actually came from like I knew I wanted her past to kind of creep back in in this chilling way. And a couple of years ago, when I was just you know kind of the story was coming together, my son he was I think seven or eight at the time. We were cleaning the toy room. Well he was playing while I was cleaning. And so he found these older walkie talkies and was playing while I was just, you know, going along. And suddenly we heard a child's voice through the other one. And I'm like, is that your brother? He's like, no, it's right here. And I'm like, oh, okay, it was creepy, but I'm like, oh, it's some sort of frequencies getting crossed. That happens, but I shut it off. And then I'm like, okay. Like I never, I never did find out what it was, but I'm like, that's, I've got my, my plot hole fixed here. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I love that story because I think authors, you know, there are so many people in life who would have that experience and just write it off. Um, no pun intended, right? So they would just like not even think twice about it. But but an author, you know, will will think, oh my God, what if? And that's right. like, I think the best tool in a writer's toolbox. It's not their vocabulary. I mean, that's important. Right. Um, it's the imagination. It's the ability yep. to say, what if, what if that voice on the other end of that walkie talkie were from the past, you know, right. um, were somebody from some other dimension trying to get off, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got your spark and then right. you can't, you can't help, but, you know, follow it. Um, yeah. That's, no, that's I agree. I agree. And I think that's where a lot of my story ideas come from, where it's, it's either, my terrifying what ifs that I think of when I'm nervous, but then I'm like, well, let's answer it and write something. Or like, I base it on something that's happened in real life, but then I think, what if something terrible happened? Like I have one story, like something I'm working on that's not anything yet, but um, I, I studied abroad in Ireland. I'm like, okay, what if she studied abroad in Ireland, but the trip ended with a death? And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure why I always go there, but at the same time, that's a story idea. So I have I have this story where um, I I was in Cape Cod, which is where you know we, we would vacation every summer, yeah. and I had just finished um, you know addressing the last of my editor's comments on um, on a manuscript, yeah. um, and my wife was not very thrilled that I was doing quote unquote work um, on <laughs> yeah. on the on the trip, but I was done, and I vowed to myself, okay not going to start anything new for a while. That lasted 20 minutes because yeah. I went to, uh, so I'm Catholic, I went to church sure. and there was, uh, I'm going to peg him at about 104, uh, <laughs> 104 year old priest saying mass. And I'm looking at him and he nods off and I'm like, what would happen if he just dropped dead right now? Like what would right. happen? Yeah. And then I went home and started outlining uh, a story about, a priest who drops dead on the altar. Um, and that became the last homily, oh, wow. <laughs> aptly titled. Um, right. 
but that's what we do. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like the scorpion and the frog. It's like, I won't sting you. Um, <laughs> and then he stings him and the frog asks why. And he's like, I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. Right. We can't, we can't not do it. I mean, to right. some extent, we can't not do right. it. Right. We can't control when we get that idea. And usually it's in the inopportune times when you've said you wouldn't work. It's, <laughs> you know, sorry, I got to write this down at least. So don't forget. I know. And sometimes ideas come to me in the car. And when, when my kids yeah. were younger, I mean, I have, we have triplets, they're 20 years old now, but when they were younger, I would take them to school every morning. And then I'd get an idea for like something I'm working on. And I'd, I'd say, okay, you know, Maggie, text me. And then I'd give her some really <laughs> asinine thing. And the older they got, like, in a, we're talking high school, they're like, we don't want to know what <laughs> goes through your head. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because I'll yeah. be like, I'll be like, hey, Patrick, text me uh, bloody knife, kitchen sink, um, you know, question mark or something like that. And he'd be like, oh, God, dad's at it again. I'd be like, dad, if anybody ever goes through our phones, they're going to be like wondering what's going on. Or browser history. If somebody oh goes through my browser history, I'm in deep trouble. Like if right. SVU like came to my house yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they said, uh, we, we got your computer, Mr. Carlin. Uh, we're going to find uh, the proof on it. They're going to see some weird shit on Pardon me. I know. Uh, I know weird it. shit on there. I really hope that they have some sort of like caveat for, oh, this person's an author. It's okay. <laughs> right. The weirdest thing. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Very good. Um, well, I know the book has, has been released already, so it's okay. available for sale now. Um, uh, how's, how's the publicity tour going for it? Um, it's been great. I mean, people have been just wonderful. And I tell you, Bookstagram is amazing. Um, I think I didn't do that enough with my first one. But it's just so nice seeing readers out there posting about it, you know, these beautiful pictures they have. I just love it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's been wonderful. Have you have you done TikTok yet? I know you mentioned Twitter, but have you yeah. ventured to TikTok? I'm on TikTok, but it's kind of like, you know, as my son would say, cringy. If he tells me something is okay, then I'm like, oh, yes, I really nailed it. Sometimes he'll laugh and I'll be like, just like it, please. Or, you know, so I'm I'm trying, but it's... Yeah, no, I haven't done it. Um, but I know, I, I just talked to an author last week who... Um, I guess what, what's really popular with TikTok and like other forms of like reels type videos. Yes. You know, those short videos on social, you know, where, where somebody gets to the twist in your book and they record a video of them reacting to the oh, twist. And those, idea. those have been popular. Um, okay. I just, you know, um, I, I'm, I don't think I'm cool enough, honest to no. God, to, to do, to do, um, you know, to do TikTok. I really, I can't yeah. dance. Number one, that's oh, no. out the window. Yeah, so far I've tried to do things where I don't actually have to like be on camera or talk. It's more the music slideshow, you know, showing the pictures. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, that's maybe why I'm not taking off because I don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> Well, I refuse to engage. I know you mentioned Twitter before. I refuse to engage on Twitter because I just, I always leave Twitter mad. Mad at yeah. somebody or something or some group of people. <laughs> like, yeah, I just is. get upset. It is. I feel like one of those, it's like, oh, I owe so much to it as far as learning and the writing community. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, less, it's, it's less and less healthy to be on it. I feel like. Or, or yeah. Even. yeah, no, geez. Tell, tell me about it. All right. So let's do some, uh, not that this hasn't been fun, but some fun questions. Um, I'm curious, Alyssa, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were growing up? Oh, my all-time favorite. Um, I'm a huge X-Files fan. So that oh, was yes. Cool junior high teenage years but that was like I don't know if anybody do you remember that they were on oh. Friday nights that was my Friday night plan was so I thought no I thought X-Files was on Sunday nights I think I thought originally when it started it was Friday but it I think, could have been it could have been um, I know it wound up on Sundays because yeah, my brothers and I would do football Sundays 
and then watch the X Files and like Party of Five or something it's like great that. Great combo, yeah, yeah. That was a great combo. No, play. I loved I it. Love the X Files. I, I watched did. that to the bitter end. The movies yeah, could have been better. I know, but I'm kind of like. I mean, I feel like you have you have fans who are like super. They'll critique it, and then you have fans who are just like happy that it's there. And I was one of those fans that was just happy when it came back. And I'm like, yeah. I don't care what they do. I'm just happy to see Mulder and Scully again. Honestly, did you watch those two? Um, they kind of rebooted it a couple of years they ago. They did. They did. Did you watch did. those? They had two seasons, I think, of it. Yeah. But, um, I was wanting more. Like I want. I definitely was, wanted more. I felt like it ended. Like maybe when they ended it, they were hoping for another season because I kind of feel like it wasn't cliffhangery, but it it was a little bit open ended. And I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe they'll announce, you know, like they were just waiting to announce it. But I mean, that's been a few years now when they haven't. So I just got into this show and I saw it. You promoted, not promoted, but they did a segment on it on a CBS morning show this Sunday. It's called Evil, um, and it is the X Files. It's like a modern day X Files, but really? for like religious phenomena. Um, so there's like demons and the devil and oh, um, you've got like a Mulder and Scully combo played really? um, of like the, the believer and the skeptic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's got dark humor in it, which to some okay. extent, the X-Files, you know, sometimes you get like a very right. humorous episode, right. you know, like the one with like Charles Nelson Riley. I'll never yeah. forget. Um, and I know Duchovny loved, you know, whenever he could do humor, he was, he yeah. was happy, but um, this show's really good. Like it, it got me. I'm like, wow. And, but it's, it's like my, I haven't found like a show like the X-Files since then. This, yeah. this could be it. So I would check it out. I might check it out. I've um, been really into stranger things and it's something. Oh, of course. Are you my older son and I can watch. And this, I mean, if you watch the first. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm up to date. It was the scariest that, I think mean, that's the one thing that's like, I would watch the X-Files and watch whatever when I was younger, but now I feel like it's more scared. Than I this is definitely scary um and I, I scream at the tv i'm like if these kids would just stop playing dungeons and dragons like <laughs> none of this would happen right? yeah. none of this would happen exactly um, but you know I'm, I'm a little pissed at the way they did the season because i'm now i've got to wait until oh. what july for the final two episodes of the season but they're both like eight hours long or something <laughs> That's, I know, that's what it's like okay like my son would be like let's just watch one more episode mom and he's you know he's 15 and it's summer but I'm you know I can't be up so late and it's like okay it's like an episode is like a movie length for this yeah. person. I'm like okay we're up till past midnight here but it's, it's interesting like those kids are slightly younger than I was at that period of time right yeah. in 86 or yeah. whatever it is yeah. Um, but my daughter, she, she loved watching it with me. She's like, was that how life was like where you go on bikes and these walkie talkies? I'm like, that's exactly how life was. Like yeah. we didn't have cell phones. That's what we did. We were outside. We would have these little adventures. Right. I mean, I, I wasn't part of the Dungeons and Dragons crowd, but, um, you know, we, we did stuff like that. And she's like, I really wish I grew up in that period of time. And I'm like, I do too, because yeah. you guys with your noses and your phones and your screens, you know, yeah. you're missing out on so much of, of the fun of life. It's so different. So X-Files, anything else besides X-Files and Stranger Things? Um, honestly, we watched a lot of SNL growing up, Saturday Night Live. Of course. Not when I was super young, but I feel like probably my parents let us watch it, maybe a little too young. But I, I loved the era of like Mike Myers mm -hmm. and then getting into Will Ferrell, um, Adam Sandler, like that, like that era. Yeah, Chris, of course, Chris Farley. But yeah, that's oh God, when Chris I think Farley. of my childhood watching TV, that's probably one of the most influential. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine had a theory that um, everyone's favorite uh, cast of SNL was whoever was on when they were in high school. Oh, um, I, yeah, and yeah. when I was in high school, it was Dana Carvey, Kevin Nealon, yep. Mike Myers. Um, yep. 
you know, just before, you know, Will Ferrell and Farley yep. and all that. And I, I mean, I, I love the show up until like Bill Hader, um, yep. who I absolutely love. He's great. Yeah. And Barry, um, you know, Kevin, not Kevin Nealon. Um, who's the other guy? Um, yeah, Kristen Wiig. Oh um, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still, still a great show. It um, is. And I only watch it on and off now. I feel like yeah, I, I, I just can't stay up anymore. I'm like, maybe I'll watch it on YouTube the next day or something. Yeah, you, you miss I mean, it's not the same. Not right. the same. Uh, transitioning from TV, how about musical artists? Who, who were you listening to when you were growing up? Oh, well, being from a small town in the Midwest, I had a country phase, which was a very long country phase, but Garth Brooks was the king. Oh, God, he's the best. Probably for everybody. Um, but then as I got older, I would say like Alanis Morissette, like that was, she was huge. Um, Sarah McLaughlin, Fiona Apple, like that, but that was kind of my jam in high school, I would say. Sure. Yeah. All those Lilith Fair type artists, yeah. right? Yeah. In fact, I went to Lilith Fair. I was telling my husband about it. He's like, what was this? And I'm like, that was a thing. Like, where in the 90s? I'm in a, <laughs> and, and, and you're like, hey, you're not invited because you're not one of us. So you can't. <laughs> no. Come. And he's like, what? I don't know. <laughs> no, I remember that was uh, like Liz Fair. Um, yep. Uh, Lisa uh, Loeb. Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look it at was that. Very cool. Yeah, cool time, cool time. Um, how, what did you learn? What lessons do you feel like? Kind of going back to that that first novel, right? Yeah. What what lessons about publishing do you feel like you had to learn the hard way? Oh, that's a good. I think just that you can, you know, it's it's not a it's the word a meritocracy. Like you work hard because you should, and you want to do the best you can, but you have no control once it's out as far as you know, like do your best, promote it the best you can, but ultimately there's so much, I mean, a good book, it has to be good, of course, like it, you need to work on your skill and everything, but there's, there's luck and timing involved and there's also um, marketing involved. And there's all these factors that like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a type A sometimes, <laughs> maybe all the time where I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? And I, but you, sometimes you just, you just have to let it go and, and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah. There is, um, there is this notion that I have, which is writing could be the easy part, um, especially if you're talented. Right. Uh, it's the promotion and getting it out there um, yeah. that makes all the difference in the world, you know? Right. Because um, there's a lot of good books out there. Um, right. But, you know, it, and you're right, there is luck, but there's 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 a promotion too, which is, um, yep. you know, yep. which is critical, which, which is, is critical. Crazy. And if you can't, if you can't master it, it's like, be prepared to only have your friends and family be the ones buying your book. I know. And that's, it's hard because yeah, like you, you as one person can only do so much unless you're independently super wealthy and have all the time in the world, which none of us are, none of us do. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a lesson that you're like, you, you do it because, because you love it and you do the best you can. And, and certainly you try to, you know, keep leveling up your craft and taking opportunities and working hard and, and just be kind to everyone. But yeah. at the end of the day, like, you know, don't base your entire worth on how well your book is selling. And I'm right. talking to myself here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that leads into another question, which is in what ways has writing been, if at all, therapeutic for you? Oh, so much. Um, just the act of writing, even, you know, when you're just stressed out and having a bad day, anything to me, like anything I'm writing is therapeutic, but especially my first with a speed of light, um, being able to basically write, because it started as just writing it for myself. Um, writing the story that I needed when I was first diagnosed with MS. 
that was extremely therapeutic. And it's, on the other hand, it's scary then putting something that personal out there because people do critique it and you just can't read reviews. But, um, but it, it also like touched a lot of people and meant a lot. And people saw themselves in a story that, you know, of chronic illness and disability, like there's not a lot of rep in, in literature right now. And so that means a lot to be able to, you know, have my story out there. That means a lot to people. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you touch upon something that every author faces, which is, you know, the need to be vulnerable. Like you have to open yourself up to vulnerability, not just for, you know, the, the critiques that you're going to get or the potential negative reviews you're going to get, but because you're, you're putting a part of your soul, even if it's fiction, you are putting a part of your soul into the story. You know, you are, you're, you're leaning on your life experiences to craft the world that you're crafting. And, you know, you're, you're exposing yourself, um, even if it's under the guise of fiction, you're exposing yourself and that requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, if, uh, if you were looking at a blank piece of paper right now, I'm just curious, <laughs> or a blank computer screen and, and your job is to, to write something that day, how do you feel when you're looking at the blank page or blank computer screen? Nerve sighted, if that's a word. I, I think the first is, you know, I always have that, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How did I ever do this? How did I write a book? How, how does this actually work? I'm not sure how I did it before. But then at the same time, once you slow down and realize, okay, I can write anything I want, blank page, no one has to see this yet. It's just me and the page. Then that is very exciting. And because the sky's the limit, you can write anything. And then later you have to think about editing and making it make sense. <laughs> well, it's a job for later. Exactly. <laughs> um, and finally, if, if you could get into a time machine. Now, I, I always go to, to Back to the Future here, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. if, if you can go into the DeLorean, hit 88 miles an hour, um, have your 121 gigawatts of electricity uh, take you back in time, and you can meet your younger self or, or give that person some advice. What would you tell the younger Alyssa? As far as writing and publishing, and I think I would say that even if it takes a long time and it's going, you know, it's good because on the one hand, I'm like what I want to know that it's going to take, how long it's going to take to publish. But at the same time, it's just as exciting. Like, yes, I'm not as young as I, of course, I would have loved to publish in my 20s, but it's just as exciting now. Like it'll mean just as much to you, if not more to do it now at this point in my life. Yeah. If, if the, if the advice didn't have to be around publishing, just life advice, what would you tell her? Oh, wow. Oh, I guess just always remember the importance of friends and family, like, you know, make sure your loved ones know how much you love them and live in the moment as much as you can. Live in the moment. Do you feel like there was a period of time where you weren't living in the moment? Um, I struggle with anxiety. And so, yeah, probably all the time. No, I mean, I, I constantly have to remind myself that now, and I, I probably was better at it when I was younger, but at the same time, I you know, I feel like now I appreciate, you know, like my parents and siblings and friendships that people that have, and my husband and people that have always been there for me, you know, that I feel like I appreciate it more now, but at the same time, I, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's a mom thing or just a me thing, but I, I worry about the future a lot. So yeah, you can yeah. kind of combine that. <laughs> I could, I could relate to that. I, you know, I always have such a busy to-do list and, you know, father of triplets and oh, yeah. the past 20 years has been kind of a blur, right. um, but I've always had so much to do that whenever I'm doing one thing, I'm 
I'm not focused on it. I'm thinking about the next thing I have to do. And it's almost like I just want to cross everything off my list. And then I find that I'm not enjoying it. So one of the lessons my dog taught me, um, I, we, we just recently lost uh, our, our 15-year-old Golden. Um, but as I'm writing, because this is what I do, as I'm writing like my memorial for her, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of all the lessons that she taught me. And one of them was to like stop and sniff, right? So it's kind of like stop and smell the roses. But whenever yeah. I would take her for a walk, she, you know, the walks would take an hour, even if we're just going around the block, because she would always stop and smell everything around her as if to say, Hey buddy, I've been inside all day long. This is my time. Let me sniff. And I'm like, you know what? I need to, I need to stop and sniff, you know, and I'm not doing that. So that was one of the things that my little Riley girl told me. That is really good. I've recently, like only recently, like as in last week, because um, my son turned 15 the day after my book came out. So the eighth, and I kind of realized as I'm planning everything for the launch and planning everything for that, I'm like, I just want his birthday to be perfect. So we have to do this, this, and this. And I realized that that's kind of my MO is for birthdays. I never stop and enjoy my children as they're getting, you know, and, and the time with them because I'm too busy making sure like everything goes perfectly. And so this year I'm like, okay, I really want to just slow down. And it was hard because I, you know, to ignore my phone the day after the book came and everything, but we went mini golfing and we just watched some movies together and it was just nice. And I'm going to try try to keep that up now where I don't have to plan it all perfectly, just be present and spend time with them. Yeah. Well, that's a, a good point to, uh, to end on. And I will let everybody listening know that the book is uh, the uh, Iris in the dark. I almost said the speed of light. That's okay. The, you can promote that one too. <laughs> we can promote both. The, the, <laughs> the book is Iris in the dark. The author is Alyssa Gressel Dickey. Uh, the book's available wherever books are sold. I imagine. Yes. Yep. Because even your local indie and some of them, like I know around here are carrying them, but um, you can always, they can always order for you. Yeah, absolutely. Support those independent bookstores. Um, And if you have to buy it, you can of course buy it on Amazon or bookshop.org is what I always tell people because uh, they, they, they send a cut to the local indie bookstores. Uh, Alyssa, if people want to get, uh, get get in touch with you on social media, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, where, where would you advise they go? Um, you can start with my website, elissadickey.com, because all the links are there. But otherwise, um, I'm Elissa Dickey on Twitter and Elissa Gressel Dickey on Facebook. So you can find me there. There you go. You can check TikTok, but it's not as exciting. <laughs> hey, well, for the younger people I'm out doing there. doing my best. <laughs> Alyssa, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.